going to continue our walk through the book of Hebrews this morning. We'll be reading from chapter 4, uh, 14 through verse 10 of chapter 5. Uh, the young pastor uh, to, or at least the pastor to a young church here in, in Hebrews, warning against unbelief. Uh, he said, look at what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, the decision that they had to make in the wilderness, that, that's the decision that you are facing, young church. Uh, will you believe in the Lord God? Will you believe in the one who has delivered you and the promises that he has uh, given to you? That's a decision that's in front of you. And God's word is true. God's word is powerful. Um, God's word is, is searching and so to rebel against that two-edged sword uh, that is the Word of God may very well cost you your life. Um, so we are encouraged. We're encouraged to strive to enter into that rest of our God, a rest that is available, uh, ever and always available through His Son. And in, in chapter 2, verse 17, we hear that Jesus is a faithful high priest. That's where that language was introduced uh, for us. And now the preacher is going to lock in on this role of high priest. Very um, dominant theme and picture really through chapter 10 of Hebrews. Jesus is our heavenly high priest. Um, not just was a long time ago, but is now. Uh, continues his intercession before us, before the throne of God. So let's pick up here at 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's holy and enduring word to his people. Let's pray together. Lord God, how grateful we are that you would give us this, your holy word, uh, a word that will not return a void, a word that will accomplish all that you intend in our hearts and lives. And so we ask for the illumination of your Spirit now upon our hearts, 
that we might not only understand, but know how to apply this word, that it might move us with greater affection, love, and joy to you, our God, the one who has given us a great high priest. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for entering in and living this role for us and continuing your intercession before the throne even now as we offer our hearts and these words to you. Be glorified in these moments in Christ's name. Amen. Katie shared a story with me this last week of a time when she was playing hide and seek with her siblings. And when you're the youngest of three siblings, if you can find a great spot for hide and seek, then that's a significant accomplishment. And so she found the perfect spot Uh, She grew up in a farmhouse where there was a barn and then another uh, field next to the barn. And she found this spot right under the bush in the corner of the field so she could watch her brother and sister look for her and never find her to the point where they had to recruit uh, mom to help uh, in finding her. And they looked all over and still could not find Katie. And so while they were at one corner of the field... She ran across the field and, and went up on the, on the porch, put her arms in the air, said, here I am, here I am. Um, the expression on mom's face was not a joyous one at that moment because she was genuinely fearful. She, was, she couldn't find her youngest daughter. You know, was she lost or worse? Um, the whole event, you know, scared her. Um, And yet there was relief knowing that, well, there was Katie with her arms waving on the porch. Uh, There was, uh, she could take comfort knowing that Katie uh, was safe at home. And so the preacher of the Hebrews here has just given a strong warning to the church. Meant to be an encouragement, but it still makes us uncomfortable. It can be terrifying to think of the consequences of unbelief. And yet, thankfully, that is not where... The preacher leaves us. He brings comfort with the scare. There's nothing hidden from from the sight of God. Everything is laid bare before him. But instead of, of running away, instead of abandoning the faith, you can actually draw near to him. You have someone who who understands, who can sympathize with your experience, your suffering priest who understands even the temptation you have to run away, to abandon what it is you've heard, what it is you've learned. Um, so where does the idea of a, a sympathetic high priest come from? How is Jesus a sympathetic priest on our behalf? I'll often ask those who are looking to join the church as members or our, uh, our young people who want to, to come before the session, I'll ask them, well, who is Jesus? And they may tell me, well, He's the Son of God, which is a wonderful answer, by the way. Um, Or He died for my sins. Or He's my Savior. Great places to start. Wonderful answers. But what I'm probing at in that question is what makes Jesus so special? Why did He have to die for your sin, not someone else? What makes Him Savior and not someone else? Um. And the answer is found in our, in our passage this morning. He is our high priest, the only high priest who could be the source of eternal salvation. So we need to understand this role of, of high priest, why the priest did what he did, and how Jesus 
fulfills this role. We're going to use three words that start with S to help us grasp uh, what the preacher is conveying here. Now we see the selection of the high priest, the sympathy of the high priest, and finally the sacrifice of the high priest. So selection, sympathy, and sacrifice will work this uh, into our hearts. Um, the high priest did not volunteer for this position. Uh, he was chosen by God uh, from among the people uh, to fill this role. In Exodus 28, the Lord chose Aaron and his sons to be the priests, with Aaron being the, the high priest among them. And so that the people didn't vote on it, um, God selected them. God is the one that set them apart to this office. And there was very you know, specific instructions, beautiful garments uh, for the priests that identified them as those uh, set apart and selected by God. Um, no, no intrinsic strength or attributes to Aaron and to his sons that would have made us think, well, oh yeah, that's the obvious choice. They should be the priests. Um, no, he, he chose them by his divine initiative and, and wisdom and grace. Now you recall, uh, Aaron committed great sin before the Lord. His sons sin before the Lord. And even at one point in the wilderness, you know, there are a few others in the tribe of Levi who really question whether Aaron was the right choice to be the high priest. In number 16, there's a group led by a man named Korah. They say, Moses, what gives... Well, I'll paraphrase this. Go to number 16 if you want the actual language. But Moses, what, what gives here? What makes you and Aaron and, and them so special? We're all set apart by God. We're all holy what makes you think that, or you think you're above the rest of us? Um, you can imagine what Moses was thinking when he hears this. <laughs> do, you think, do you think I wanted this? Do you think I volunteered for this? Um, but that's almost what he said. He said, you know, is it too small a thing? Is it too small a thing that the Lord has set you apart as from the tribe of Levi? The ones that would, would care for, for the tabernacle, draw near to himself, and now you want to be priests too? Why do you grumble against Aaron? Do you think he chose this for himself? And so kind of a, abbreviate this story. The Lord knows the intentions of the heart. His word is a two-edged sword and so he confirms his selection. These rebellious families are brought out before the people I want you to hear what Moses says. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, if they're visited by the fate of all mankind, well, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. Anyone else want to question the Lord's anointed? Um, wow. Uh, the Lord confirms his decision. The very next chapter, number 17, he confirms Aaron as his choice of high priest. Twelve different staffs go into the tabernacle, but there's only one that buds with flowers and fresh almonds. 
Aaron claims no honor for himself. He has no boast in himself, but is chosen and set apart by the Lord God to represent the people, to carry their names before the Lord and, and sacrifice on their behalf. That is an honor bestowed by God. Um, and this is true of our great high priest. Jesus is chosen. He is appointed by God the Father to this office. And the preacher is making a connection here between the eternal Son of God and, and this priest. We, we hear both titles in 4.14, but then by quoting from the Psalms, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, he affirms the selection. You are my son, Psalm 2. You are a priest forever, Psalm 10. We're, we're, meant, to, we're meant to hear that this is the same person. You are my son. You are the priest. The one appointed by God. And then God the Father confirms the selection in the New Testament. This is how Luke records with the disciples at Mountaintop Experience. They're there with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Here's how Luke records it. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The son is our heavenly high priest. Not because he decided he would make a good one, but because the father appointed him. Um, so I, I hope we start to hear maybe why this is important for us. Jesus is not a self-selecting high priest. Um, he's not a son with sort of this chip on his shoulder. He says, yeah, you know, that, that should be me. I'm obviously qualified. This is the best choice. Jesus is humbled by this selection. He is humbled and willing to fulfill this role of high priest that the Father has given him doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't uh, do this for a glory grab, you know, exalting himself. He, uh, he becomes our humble high priest out of love for the Father, out of his love for you, for me. We've heard how the Apostle Paul shows this. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The priest is a servant of God, a servant of the people. And a few verses later, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That honor, that exaltation is not sought. It is bestowed by God upon his servant. May that be so for the servants within God's house. A chosen people, a royal priesthood set apart in service to God. I mean, do we really consider enough what a privilege that is? To intercede on behalf of one another, to intercede on behalf of our neighbors. Do we serve our God willingly? Do we serve Him humbly? Do those in leadership positions, again, past, present, future, do they serve Him with humility and reverence, acknowledging that it is God who has called and appointed them to serve. Um, you know, when a leader in the church begins to, um, to seek glory for himself or herself, if we're talking outside the offices of the church, really starts to believe that they are the obvious choice for this role, then, then that's, that's, that's a strong warning to the body of Christ. Watch out. Be on guard. But, God, but God's appointment of his servants to leadership within the church, that should also encourage 
us to, to recognize and acknowledge what God has done in appointing them. Um, God has chosen. We affirm that. Affirm those who lead and serve among us and their submission to the word. Um, so to encourage us to come alongside them, to encourage them uh, who have been appointed by God in this way. So selection of the high priest, but also sympathy uh, of the high priest is really brought out here. Uh, in 5 verse 2, it says that he, the priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So the people are coming to the priest, they're coming with their, their sacrifices, we've sinned again, we've disobeyed God's law. The, the priest has no precedent then to say, well, what are you thinking? How could you do this again? What is wrong with you? Okay, the priest, or at least an honest priest, knows that there is something wrong with him. That he's sinned before God. That he is beset with weakness. So he can respond in an understanding way, in a gracious way, interceding for the sinner because he too is in need of, of that atonement. And so our great high priest is sympathetic to our weakness. But his sympathy comes in a little different way. Um, this is what sets uh, the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And uh, the preacher introduces Melchizedek here. And we're go he'll go into much more detail in chapter 7. But we're only going to focus on that identity stamp that, uh, that it gives to Jesus as the high priest here. But our high priest, two words in the original at the end of 4.15, without sin. Could we argue those are the most important two words of the message? And we know from, from 2 verse 18 that Jesus was tempted as we are tempted. He can understand our every weakness, but He did this without actually entering in and committing the slightest sin against a holy God. So now, now we're going to start, you know, we're stepping into the mystery of the God-man here. And sympathy, sympathy is probably a little weak um, for what is really happening here. When we think of sympathy, it's you know, sort of feeling the same type of feelings as, as another, trying to acknowledge maybe what it's like to be in, in their shoes or experience what they're experiencing. Um, in sharing our humanity, Jesus doesn't just feel something like the frustration you experience. It doesn't feel something like your anger or your anxiety. Okay. Not something like the betrayal or the pain or uh, confusion that, that we experience. No, he, he knows the very experience. Uh, he suffers with us. He identifies fully. When, like, like this young church feeling hurt, maybe feeling helpless and defenseless. And Jesus, Jesus knows that. He knows what it's like to be you in your experience without any of the sin. I've been reading about uh, some leadership principles with Dr. Paul Tripp. And he describes idolatry as a heart out of balance. I think it's a great description. You know, good things that take on you know, greater weight in our hearts than God Himself and His desires for us. And so until Jesus comes again, we, our sanctification is a constant pursuit of this balance, of this shalom with everything just as the way God intends it to be. 
but in every respect, tempted as we are, sharing our, our experience, but the heart of Jesus was never out of balance. Perfectly balanced in every way. Uh, yesterday in our seminar, we heard about the glory of God in us as image bearers. Um, and we really have to think about Jesus when we're talking about true humanity. You know, you've heard, well, well, it's only human after all. She's only human after all. He's only human after all. And in context, we've, we've probably even you know, said that at some point, thinking, well, this is you know, at human after all enslaved to sin and as a result of sin. That's why he or she did what they did or said what it is they said. But the biblical worldview provides uh, the corrective to this. To be only human after all is to be more like Jesus. The true and faithful image bearer, the true human. You've probably heard me say this before, but, but our sin is dehumanizing. It actually makes us more beast-like than human-like. I just had this picture of Nebuchadnezzar come to my mind. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and the prophet Daniel? He's standing on his fortress saying, look at this kingdom I've built. I am the man all by my power. And what does the Lord do? Makes him more beast-like than human. Jesus is the one we desire, the one we strive to be without sin. So next time you hear that, you know, they're only human language, you could try something like this. Well, to be human is to be more like Jesus. And what they're what they've done is actually unhuman and needs to be repented of and not used as an excuse for their sin. See how that works when you try that next time you've heard that. Um, so Aaron the priests, the Levites, they could respond gently, not react harshly because of their, their own guilty conscience before the Lord. But Jesus is without sin. His gentleness, His compassion is not compelled by guilt. He's compassion. He's moved to tenderness out of, out of love. I mean, this is, this is just beyond uh, what these priests can fulfill and not, um, not moved by guilt in any way. He, he wants to, to come near in your weakness. He wants to help. He knows he has suffered as a sympathetic high priest. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He, that is God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Well, what does that mean? In order to understand that, we have to look at the sacrifice of the high priest. Aaron, all the Levitical priests, part of the people in solidarity with the people, they have to offer sacrifices, many sacrifices. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would offer a bull and a sin offering for himself and his family. That had to happen first before he could uh, offer the sacrifices of, of the goats as a sin offering for the people. Um, and there's a lot more to that day in Leviticus 16, but only through sacrifice could atonement be made for the cleansing of sin. And in 5 verse 1, we read, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin... We hear another pairing in 5 verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered prayers and supplications. We're meant to hear the parallel. 
the prayer of Jesus, his pleading, his crying out to the Father. Certainly we hear that in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this, is, this captures his sacrificial offering of his very life. He was tested. He was found faithful and his offering accepted, not for his own atonement, but for the atonement of all uh, who call upon his name. And in verse 8, it says he learned obedience through what he suffered. We usually learn obedience through some failure in some way. You know, we, we're corrected as sinners because of something that we've done or said. Um, but our, our priest without sin learned obedience by embracing the cost of his humility, of his humiliation. Not as a sinner who needs correction, but as a sinless one appointed to be the sacrifice. So suffering here is the suffering unto death that perfects him in his qualifications as high priest. So Jesus, Jesus fulfills this role. I, I know we're hearing this. There's a lot here. He fulfills this role of priest in the Old Testament, but he goes far beyond what any priest of the Old Testament could have accomplished. Um, he is the sacrifice. He identifies with the weakness to a degree that no high priest could ever do. That's how the prophet Isaiah, that's how he would describe it. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can come close. We can draw near to our God without fear. I mean, in the wilderness, the people are instructed to, to draw near, instructed to come near the mountain, but not, not too near, not too close. Don't touch the mountain. Bring your sacrifices to the priest at the tabernacle and later at the temple. But that's as close as you get to the Holy One. The sacrifice of our high priest, himself the sin offering, that, that separation is no more. Draw near. Draw near, child of God, with confidence, boldness. Draw near, for you are, you are fully accepted, you're fully known and loved. I think 4.16 here, really, it carries a sense of wonder, even anticipation, and how God will meet us in our need. You know, like if, you, if you've had the opportunity to meet your you know, a f- a famous athlete or your, your most favorite athlete or musician, and you've listened to that person all your life, or you've watched them on TV all of your life, and then you step into the same room and you get to, to see that person. And they make eye contact with you saying, hey, how's it going? Hey, let's sit down knows me, recognizes me. There's a sense of wonder. Can we approach the throne of our Father who knows us and loves us? And there's mercy and there's grace without end. And here, not not the saving grace of justification in mind, but the enabling grace to help us on our journey. The enabling grace that is sufficient for your every weakness. So, you know, bring this in. Are are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling discouraged? 
Go to the Lord. Draw near for the grace that He supplies right now. Maybe you've been snagged by a familiar sin. It's come back around. Our, our tendency is to run away. right? We want to run away and we sin. And maybe we can clean ourselves up a little bit. You know, Once things look a little bit better, we at least feel a little bit better, then we'll draw near. No, run to the throne of grace. That is where you will find mercy. That is where forgiveness is found. Jesus has come near to us in the flesh. Now we can draw near to God continually in prayer. See how how practical and comforting the qualifications of our high priest are. We have access to God. And He still sits enthroned at the Father's right hand. A heavenly high priest continues to serve us and help in our weakness. So when we pray, there is mercy. There is actual help in our need. And that that help may come in in ways that we don't expect. But when we pray, we are are refreshed by the grace of God in that moment. So go to Him. Draw near with confidence. I know some of us aren't all that confident when drawing near to the throne of grace, either privately in prayer or especially when we're around others. Um, we're, We're afraid that we might say something silly. Or maybe we're not going to sound as spiritual as we would like. Okay, I understand that fear. I wrestle with it all the time. Um, let's allow God's Word to shepherd us beyond our fears. Um, the, Lord, the Lord's not listening with a critical ear like we presume upon others. Oh, I, I think I know what he or she is trying to say. Yeah, I, I'll I'll listen. Or that's probably not the most theologically sound prayer she's ever had, but oh well. That's not the attitude of our God. He listens willingly. He delights to hear your heart. So stumble over your words to the glory of God. Um, And see His smile because He knows knows what you wanted to say, what you could have said and should have said. He knows. He knows. Since moving uh, south here to Arkansas, even before we moved to Trinity Fellowship, I've really been ministered by the prayers of, of our brother Glenn um, because he prays as to the one who is holy, um, transcendent, and yet so very near. His heart cries out with gratitude to his high priest. Um, so thank you, brother, for modeling that and serving the church of Christ in that way. Um, So there's warning here, more warning to come, Uh, but there is a great comfort and and motivation to hold fast to our confession. How do we hold fast? By drawing near to God who gives us more and more grace, strengthens us for the trials ahead. Uh, May we be those who are found often in the presence of our God, drawing near for more of His mercy, more of that help at just the right time time let's pray together lord what a privilege this is to do right now to come before the throne of grace before you our heavenly father because our great high priest has offered the sacrifice acceptable to you curtain torn in two his body broken who continues to intercede for us Oh, we thank you and we praise your great name. The giving of your Son 
our high priest. And as we consider the the role of this high priest in the weeks ahead, may our love only grow deeper. May our joy and delight in our high priest only expand and grow fonder. The one who represents us before you. Take this prayer, the prayers of our hearts, combined right now, O Christ, as a pleasing aroma to our Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.